say be seated, but please don't. Um, so let me start uh, just letting you know ahead of time that I've been asked to keep my message to 15 minutes, which is really hard for me. <laughs> and and, um, and I'm, I'm a believer that we should continually learn in whatever we do. And so you're my guinea pig today. Um, as a governor for myself, um, I'm going to try to preach from a manuscript. Never done it before, but we're going to give it a shot. And it's a one way to corral myself. It's, I've tested it five times this morning, and it's between 11 and 15 minutes. So that's good. <clears throat> and uh, number two, I've seen some folks who do a really amazing job preaching with a manuscript. And I thought, why not give it a shot today? So bear with me. You know, there are four words that are most connected with Advent. Hope, love, joy, peace. Today's word love unfortunately suffers from a maligning culture often focused on sexual desires relative to love rather than biblical descriptors like patience, kindness, not seeking its own. Cultural distortions like sappy country western songs, or manipulative, testosterone-riddled teenage lust seeking sex by asking, but don't you love me? Or weaponized catchphrases like love wins to reduce morality to a personal desire. Biblical love, however, is much more than this. Bob Gaff approaches it in his biblical book, biblical love book titled Love Does. While love's payload may carry deep affections with it, you know, I often say, God not only loves you, He likes you. He's nuts about you. But the truth is, the loving act of Advent, the incarnation, His coming, exceeds feelings of desire or affection. Well, I've gotten more of that's right and amens. And my, maybe I ought to stick with these manuscripts. <laughs> Hallelujah! Yeah, that's a bit much, I know. Christ's incarnation, Jesus left perfection. I mean, we're talking perfect perfection. Jesus was in perfect communion with the Father and with the Spirit. We talk about koinonia, absolute perfect koinonia, from which he chose voluntarily to leave and enter the cesspool of human relationships. You know, if I think about Mother Teresa entering the city of joy, Jesus' coming is like that on steroids. Mother Teresa was an Albanian nun who, who chose to leave the comforts of her nunnery and go to the city of joy, which was a place in Calcutta, India, some of the poorest of the poor, the place where the marginalized were forced to live, the low spot in the city where when the sewers would overflow, they would flood that area during the monsoon and people would have to walk in knee-to-hip-deep water that was, was infested with open sewer. And if Mother Teresa's difference between her nunnery and that is this far, Jesus' heaven was over there. And he came here challenge is more about the difference. St. Francis of Assisi and his self-imposed penance 
because he had offended a leper. He had, he had treated a leper as something less than and recognized in his own demeanor what he had done, enforced a penance upon himself to train himself to have a common meal with this brother with advanced leprosy where his fingers are now dripping from his hand and the first digit is almost gone and together they had a common meal out of one bowl. And as I think about that and, and that sick feeling of the thought, and yet St. Francis's aristocracy, even with a leper, is here to hear Jesus started way over there. And in the incarnation, he came here. Have any of you, like me, ever wondered how Jesus escaped the mental wounding that often accompanies stigmatized realities? Jesus, in the understanding of his whole community, was a product of premarital sex in a world where children and unwed parents were ostracized along with their mother. His formative years were spent in a foreign country. I mean, while he was an infant and a young child, those formative years were where stuff is developed inside of you. And at best, he was an immigrant. At worst, he was a refugee. Scripture tells us that he was despised. It says, quote, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That's a kind word of saying ugly. He was rejected by his own community. All of these things we've created or we've identified, we've recognized syndromes that happen to, to us today. Anyone else ever wonder how Jesus ended up without the psychological syndromes in the midst of his incarnation? This morning, I want to talk about love. It's our word for Advent today. The Bible calls us to two progressively radical manifestations of love. The first is love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 34 through 40 lays this out. We find Jesus where Jewish leaders are trying to discredit him. The Sadducees have failed. The scriptures say that they were silenced by Jesus. And so the Pharisees tag team into a wrestling match with Jesus. The Sadducees out, the Pharisees in, trying to disgrace Jesus. And they sent their expert on the law asking, what's the greatest commandment? And you know Jesus' response, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. James, Jesus' natural brother and leader of the early church, echoes these words. He talks about the royal love, the royal law of love found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he, he juxtapositions it. He puts it over against showing favoritism to people like you or people you like or people who can further your agenda. This is why we're here today, folks. Because love is not a feeling. It's not the fulfillment of a desire. Love wins not when it secures perceived rights or gets beyond third base with its girlfriend, but when it serves its neighbor. Our three-part liturgy today will be praise. Thank you, Donovan, for leading us. Hearing of the word preaching of God's Word. And number three, serving our neighbor 
And folks, this liturgy is actually grounded in Romans 12, verse 1. Different translations render the exact same words that Paul chose in that verse intentionally. One translation rendition is spiritual worship, and the other is reasonable service. In other words, in the, in the words that Paul chose, the, the sphere of understanding was spiritual worship and reasonable service. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship slash reasonable service. I think Matt Redman hit it right in Heart of Worship. It's more than a song. Diane Ackerman's book, The Zookeeper's Wife, recounts Antonina Zabinski, who ran Europe's largest zoo like a, like a game park in the outskirts of Warsaw. Until during World War II, German Blitzkrieg used the Luftwaffe to bomb Warsaw into rubble. Most of the animals that were left at that point were shipped back to Germany. The remaining ones became entertainment as a private hunting ground for SS officers. As a Christian who felt compelled to care for, Antonin, for creation, Antonina was devastated. But she said, quote, It was not the dream of death, but merely a winter sleep. She saw God could use the wicked of the day for his good purpose. And when her husband, Jan, was appointed by the Nazis as superintendent of the parks, he opened a pig farm on the ground to the amusement of his occupiers who hated Jews. And while the Nazis systematically killed thousands of Polish Jews through starvation in the Warsaw Ghetto, simultaneously sending others to death camps, Antonina smuggled pork to starving Jews and used the labyrinth of cages on the park grounds to hide hundreds of Jews that she eventually smuggled out to safety. She actually earned her a tree along Jerusalem's Avenue of the Righteous Among the Nations in the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. But in John 13, 34 through 40, Jesus gives a more radical command of love. Brothers, this one is not focused so much on our neighbor, but on our brothers, those who are of the household of God. Context. Judas has just left the Last Supper bent on betraying Jesus for a few gold coins. Jesus declares at the precipice of his crucifixion, quote, now the Son of Man is glorified. By the way, I don't know about you, but crucifixion doesn't typically parallel to glory in my thinking, but it does in the lexicon of Jesus. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Next, Jesus, in essence, says, I'm going to do something that only I can do. You're going to watch me suffer, and you're going to watch me die for you. Folks, this is leadership of a shepherd, not a cattle herder. Cattle herders drive others with their agenda. Shepherds lead by going first. They model. Jesus, in essence, is saying, 
Because I love you, I am going to die. And this kind of love, it glorifies the Father. But then Jesus says, and here's the catch, folks. A new command I give to you. Love one another. Let me tell you what I mean by that, Jesus says. As I have loved you, as you're going to watch my love for you manifest in my willingness to go to the cross on your behalf to suffer and die. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Folks, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love one another beyond that. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And when you do that, people will pay attention and the Father will be glorified. April 26, 1986. The Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Ukraine explodes and releases 400 times the radiation of Hiroshima. That explosion initiated a lava flow of radioactive molten metal toward a pool of cooling water. If it reached the pool, it would have set off a more massive explosion, not only leveling the entire plant, but destroying half of Europe. We're talking both west and east, and rendering it uninhabitable for 500 years. Three workers, we don't know their names, three workers volunteered to wade through knee-deep radioactive water in a pitch-black basement to open shutoff valves and drain the pool. They volunteered knowing that the exposure of this valiant attempt would result in certain, slow, agonizing deaths over the next few months from radiation poisoning, excruciating deaths. Following the underwater pipes by hand, the volunteers found the ballast and drained the pool. Those above heard the water flushing out of the basement and erupted in spontaneous joy. And to be honest, I have to believe that the three volunteers felt both profound joy and devastating fear. You know, it's sad that the names of those three heroes remain anonymous because of a Soviet cover-up. But, you know, I guess it only adds to the illustration. I'll often joke that I'm willing to take out the garbage, but I want credit for it. But here is love, not for aggrandizement. But it's love for love. Today, folks, our spiritual worship is our reasonable service as we love our neighbors, our guests, as we love ourselves. With that, I pray that God would be gracious in leading us to love our neighbors as ourselves and love one another as Christ loved us all for the glory of God. Mike, can you come and tell us how we can love our neighbor? And may the Holy Spirit tell us how we can love one another as Christ loved us. Hello, Matt.